morning, Chili Bible. He is risen. If you are uh, here visiting with us for the first time, welcome. We are glad you're here. If you're looking for a good church, you can stop looking because you found one. You know, um, if you haven't been here with us in a while, yes, Children's Church is now dismissed. Follow Miss Sandy. If you are in uh, four, age four years old through third grade, just follow her on out the door. You guys will be rejoining us later. But uh, for right now, if you're age four through third grade, we've got a special thing for you. All right. Um, if you are joining us uh, for the first time in a while, let me also say this to you. Welcome home. We're glad you're back. We, uh, we really are. We've missed you. We're glad you're back. Uh, after a week of sobering reminders of Jesus' rejection and betrayal and arrest and trial and mockery and death, today is a day for celebration because death is dead and sin is defeated and Christ has conquered. As we celebrate and worship uh, together this morning, uh, looking at the reality that Christ has indeed risen from the dead, uh, I want to uh, do, do that in the scriptures with you in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Uh, we're going to look at the whole chapter here this morning. But before we do that, I want to just ask the Lord uh, to, uh, to guide us into His Word by the Spirit's power. So let's pray. Father, our heaven, uh, we, uh, you are in heaven and we are on earth. And we feel very small many times. And you are so great in power. And yet, Father, you condescended to come down, to send your Son into this world to live among us, to live as a pauper and a peasant, to be betrayed and suffer and die, not for what He did, but for what we did. Our sins put Him on the cross. Our shame He bore. Our humiliation He carried. The punishment that brought us peace was laid on Him. Father, we are grateful for that. And we are even more grateful and thank You for the resurrection that the penalty is paid, that there is no more sin clinging to me that will ever be counted against me on Judgment Day. Father, we are all relieved and excited and thankful and grateful for that too. And Father, we pray as we celebrate today that You would let the joy of resurrection flow into our hearts that you would open your word to us uh, and let it never be the old news, Father. May it always be the good news coming to us as for the first time. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, beginning verse 1, we see this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared 
And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in, in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let me ask you a really obvious question for just a second. Why are these women going to the tomb on Sunday morning? To see a dead body. That's why. They're going with spices and aloes. It's their first opportunity to go to the tomb of Jesus and prepare his body in, a, in an honorable way for his burial. Jesus was just wrapped in a clean shroud and laid in the tomb quickly on Friday night. All of these preparations for his burial were not made because it was a high holy day. And that began at, at, at evening on Friday night. And continued all the way until evening on Saturday night. And by then it would have been dark. Been too late to go. And so their first opportunity to go and honor Jesus' death. And prepare his body for burial is on Sunday morning. So they go at their first opportunity. As soon as it's daylight, they are on their way to the tomb. They went because they did not expect what had happened. They did not expect a resurrection. They went to prepare a body. But that isn't what they found. Contrary to their expectation, they found the tomb not only open, but empty. Jesus' body was missing. The linen shroud he had been wrapped in was still there, but his body was gone, which made no sense. If you're a grave robber, you take everything. Why would you take the body out of the shroud and take just the body? But as they stand there trying to figure out what's happened, two angels appear and explain that just as Jesus taught them a few days ago, while they were still in Galilee, before they'd come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, Jesus had told them everything that was going to happen. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be executed. And in three days, He will rise. It's the third day. You should be expecting to not find Him here. But that's what they expect because they have seen him die. 
And the Romans knew how to kill people. They had put literally tens of thousands of people to death in the same way as Jesus in the hundred years before and after Jesus' death. They knew how to, how to make sure people were dead. And Jesus was really dead. But they hear from the angels, He is risen just as He told you. He is risen just as He told you. Now later on, Mary Magdalene and Peter will go back to the tomb another time and look individually and they will get personal visits from Jesus. In fact, Mary will be the first person. Peter will be the second person to see Jesus raised from the dead. But at this, at this time right here, there's wonder and confusion because they can't figure out what has happened. Even though the angels have told them, they go back and they tell them, hey, we saw two angels that told us that Jesus is alive. And all of the All of the disciples that are there gathered in the room look at them and they say, "Um, yeah, I I, I don't know about that. It says in the Scriptures, it seemed to them an idle tale. Like, Like, Mary, ladies, we love you, but you're letting the wish become the father of the thought here. And this is not actually... What happened? It couldn't have happened. We've seen this guy die. Peter runs off to the tomb and he's thinking, I don't, this doesn't make any sense. He doesn't see the angels. It's not until later he'll see Jesus. But right now they're thinking, maybe, just maybe. Just maybe there's been a resurrection, but this seems too good to be true. And they were people like us. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. Amen? And they're thinking right now, no, come on. I saw Jesus die. He can't really be alive. That would be too good to be true. He's alive. Let's read on. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And when they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened, while they were walking, while they were talking and discussing these things together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Clopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be crucified to death, to be condemned to death and crucified him but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel yes and besides all this it is now the third day since these things happened moreover some women of our company amazed us they came 
They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread." I love this story. I do. One of my favorite stories of Jesus' resurrection appearances. There are ten altogether. If you look at all of the Gospels, there are ten different post-resurrection appearances that are recorded in the Gospel writers. Uh, Luke gives us, I believe, three of them. But at this time, these guys can't recognize who Jesus is. In fact, the, the Greek construction there uh, is written in such a way, it's a very, uh, you know, the guys who wrote the, the scriptures were Jewish, but they wrote in Greek because it was the common language of their day, the language that was spoken and read all over the Roman Empire. And when you write something in what's called the passive voice, like this. This is a very Jewish way of writing to describe something that God did. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. The question that you might ask is, by whom? By Jesus. That Jesus himself kept them from recognizing that he was with them even as they're talking about his crucifixion and death. And even as they're talking about the women who saw the angels, Jesus doesn't say, yeah, I told those angels to go do that. He never cracks. He just continues to talk with them right up until the moment where he takes the veil away from their eyes and they see who he is. I think it's because God loves to surprise us with things that we could not have imagined. And these guys cannot imagine that Jesus really is risen from the dead. And so they're walking with him and talking with him for a couple of hours. It's seven miles. If you, if you walk at a brisk clip, it will take you somewhere around an hour to walk three and a half or four miles. If you, if it, it'll take you roughly two hours to go about seven miles. 
and they've been walking with him, and it takes a while. It's now the afternoon, and it's gotten late in the day, and they said, well, come stay with us. We've enjoyed talking with you. We don't know who you are, but we're having fun talking. We're here at the end. Let's, let's eat together. Let's enjoy some fellowship together. Jesus says, very well, I'll go in with them. And as they're sitting down at the table, Jesus breaks the bread. They've seen him do that literally three days before. And all of a sudden, the veil drops away and they realize who it is they have been talking to. Does anybody think that the, the journey back might have been faster than the journey out? <laughs> right? They have got the afterburners on, I'm guessing. Get all the way back to the upper room. Get back to the place where the disciples are gathered. And they, they run in and tell them, you'll never believe it! Jesus is alive. We saw him. We spent two hours with him, talking with him on the road. And then he broke some bread with us, just like on Thursday night. And, and they're like, yeah, we know. Jesus is alive. He appeared to Simon. And they're, and they're like, what? <laughs> they're now the third group of people that Jesus has appeared to. He's already appeared to Mary once. He's already appeared to Peter, to Simon Peter. And now he's appeared to them. It's the third appearance of Jesus after his resurrection. Can you imagine telling this story? Can you imagine how excited you would be? Let me tell you what we talked about. And what, what, by the way, what did they talk about? They talked about, as they walked along the road with Jesus, how all of the Old Testament all of the scriptures that they had pointed to Jesus, to his death and to his resurrection. Some of you sitting there might be wondering, well, really? I tried to read the Old Testament once and I, I couldn't get through it. How does the Old Testament point to Jesus? Let me just summarize some things for you. When sin came, if you remember Sin came into the world through the temptation of Satan in the garden of Eve. Eve was tempted and fell into sin. And then she gave some to her husband and he freely chose to violate God's command. And they fell into sin together. They were cast out of the garden. And as they're being cast out, God tells them, Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And it's a singular word that he uses, referring to a singular person who is to come, who is to be born of a woman, who is to redeem the world from sin. And every generation after that, they are looking for, as you read your Bible, who that Redeemer is to be. And as the nations spread out from the world, they get increasingly more wicked, and then they're destroyed again under the days of Noah. And then the families of the earth spread out again with Noah and his family. And God picks one particular Aramean nomad, a man named Abram, 
And he says, from you, all of the nations of the earth will be, will be blessed. And in other words, from you is going to come the line of Messiah. And then as, as nations and people spread out from him, it starts to become tribes. And one of those tribes is named Judah. And Judah's father, Jacob, tells him, from you will come the ruler. And then generations pass, the people go into slavery, and it's from you will come the ruler. And they're looking for who it's going to be, and out of they come out of Egypt, get redeemed from slavery, go through a period of judges, and then, and then kings. First king is a disaster. The second king is a king after God's own heart named David from the line of Judah. And God makes a covenant with him that through him will come the Messiah. And that that Messiah will reign forever and ever. And then you've got prophets after David that rise up and call the nation back to faithfulness to God. And over and over and over, they keep pointing people back to obedience to the covenant with God and forward to the idea that Messiah is coming. And what you see all the way through the Old Testament also as this, this, this line of people through whom Messiah is going to come, you see sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice beginning in the garden. In the garden, God slaughtered an animal to cover the sin and shame of Adam and Eve. And with that act, the principle was established that something has to die in order to cover over sin. And later, you see at the time of the Exodus, as Israel comes out of Egypt, you see the Passover lamb. And that sacrifice established that every year the people of Israel were to celebrate the lamb who was slain that set them free from slavery. And Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. And then later, as the people of Israel build a tabernacle and later a temple, you'll see it laid out and all of the articles of furniture are laid out in a straight line with a cross going across the middle. So that you approach God's presence through a cross. You walk right into His presence through the cross. Of the articles of furniture in the tabernacle and the temple. And you come with the blood of sacrifice poured out for you. And there are two kinds of sacrifices that, that are offered. There's the sacrifice, first of all, of the blood of atonement where a goat has its throat cut and its blood collected and a, a bull for the sins of the priest. His throat is cut and his blood is collected and the priest, the high priest, walks in and he pours that blood on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And the idea is, is that God in His holiness looks down and sees the blood on top of the ark which symbolized the sin of the people and He sees that blood covers over sin. And then they took another goat and they took it out into the wilderness after they had named all of the sins of the people. And they took it out into the wilderness having laid the sin of the people on its head and they let it outside of the encampment and left it to die. 
And in all of these things, the point is to point forward to a future day when blood would be spilled at a cross and peace would be made between God and His people. When through the blood of sacrifice, people would be able to enter into God's very presence and their sin would be atoned for. And, and through the blood of one taken outside the city, sin would be carried away. By the way, where was Jesus killed? Outside the gate. Because he was the scapegoat. He was the Passover lamb. He was the, the blood of the atonement sacrifice. He was the one who made peace with God. He is the suffering servant that Isaiah talked about. He is the one who entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey as, Micah, I mean, as, as Zechariah said. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea as Micah predicted. He carried the wounds of his people and took up their infirmities and healed them. The blind see, the dead are raised. All of the prophets, all of the Old Testament point forward to the coming of this man, King Jesus. And they couldn't see it. Even the Psalms say, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Be talking about David? No. Talking about the greater son of David whose body never rotted and who did not decay because he was raised from the dead. It's an amazing thing. And all of a sudden, all the pieces of the puzzle that Jesus has been giving them all this time, they all start to fit. All the things that they were left scratching their head. What was Jesus talking about when he taught this? It all fits. It all goes together. And they see what they had never seen. And as they were talking about this, these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled. I'll say they were startled. <laughs> they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before him, before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. 
while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now Luke compresses the details. He does. He compresses the details. And it may not seem like it if you're just reading his account, but if you read his account and line it up with the other Gospels, you'll see that Jesus records here Jesus' fifth appearance right after the two Emmaus-bound disciples get back and his tenth and final appearance on the day of his ascension. And the division between the two is at verse 44. And again, what strikes me here is how amazing and how very human the disciples' reaction is. Let me ask you, if, if you were sitting in a room and all the doors are shut and windows are closed and all of a sudden someone who was not there a second ago appears in the room with you, are you startled? Yes, okay. Uh, you know, I've, d- I've done this at my house a number of times. I've had it happen to me at my house a number of times, right? As, you know, you're alone, you're, you think you're alone in the house, right? And then all of a sudden you come around the corner and you see someone and you don't know who it is immediately. And you go, <gasps> right? <laughs> and and uh, I've scared the bejabbers out of Karen a number of times, right? Uh, and she got me back uh, this last week, right? Um, but, but all of a sudden, he's in the room with them, and they are startled. In fact, they think it's a ghost. Because given everything we know about the fact that under normal circumstances, people do not rise from the dead, the fact that Jesus is in the room with them convinces them maybe this is what we're seeing. Even though they've just gotten reports that Jesus is alive. Jesus calms them down and says, look, let's just eat together. And you'll be able to see that I have flesh, I have bones, I can eat. I'm not a spirit, not a ghost. I'm really alive. I'm really here. Now, did his resurrected body have some unusual abilities? Yes, I think that is a safe assumption, right? One day when you and I get our resurrection bodies, we will have presumably those same unique abilities. But Jesus convinces them, I am here, I am alive. And he begins later at his verse 44, begins to explain to everybody the same thing that he had told the two guys on the way to Emmaus, that all these things had to happen, that this was all part of the plan. And if you read your Old Testament rightly, you'll understand that all of this fits together, that this is all part of God's plan. And Jesus is the culmination of every bit of it. Jesus really is alive. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have him appear again and give instructions for your mission? In other words, Jesus is telling them, look, I'm, I'm glad you're excited that I'm raised from the dead, but I didn't simply rise from the dead 
just to make you happy. I am risen from the dead. And there is a mission to go on. When I ascend to heaven, you'll be sent on it, and I will send the Holy Spirit with you to do it. But there is a mission that you're to join. And he explains to them what it is that you're now witnesses of these things, and I'm sending you out to bear witness to me. This is the second time, second major time, that Jesus has sent the disciples out. The first time was to announce that Jesus was coming to your town on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to die. The second time is a different kind of mission, to announce that Jesus is coming not to your town in Israel, but back to reign and rule over the entire world. He is coming back to set up his kingdom to rule and reign as the king of kings. And once again, those who are Jesus' followers are called to be not just followers, but also heralds announcing the fact that Jesus came the first time to deal with sin. And so he is coming again, not to deal with sin, but to bring salvation, as Hebrews 9.28 says. Not to deal with sin, but to bring salvation to those who are eagerly waiting for him. Brothers and sisters, are you eagerly waiting for him? I am. I'm eagerly waiting for the day King Jesus rolls back into town. As the, as the old hymn says, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend and it is well, it is well with my soul. Amen? It is. But while we are here, we have a mission to do. To live as heralds of the coming of the King. To announce Him, to live for Him, and to look for Him and His coming. By the way, it is good news that Jesus is risen. Let me give you just three things to highlight why it is such good news that Jesus is risen, in case you missed it. Because Jesus is risen, I will not die in my sins. If you have put your trust in Jesus, you will not die in your sins. Why? Because Jesus is risen. Here's the reality. Every religion and even every non-religious worldview will tell you that there is something deeply wrong with us as people. Some people will say, well, it's lack of education, it's lack of opportunity, it's lack of a good school, or it's lack of you know, a two-parent home, or it's lack of whatever, but they'll explain that they're trying to look for an explanation for the fact that as human beings we are deeply broken and sinful and flawed and desire to do many things which are evil. And all of the world's philosophies and religions have their ideas as to what is wrong with us and what the solution is, but they basically boil down to two answers. Either you, as an individual, must strive to do some approved list of things to make yourself a better person than you are by nature. 
or you put your trust in Jesus who has done everything necessary to fix your broken and sin-defaced soul. And He is able to fix you from the inside out. Everything else is, is do and do and do until you die. Or rely on Jesus who has done all that is necessary to fix what is wrong with you at the deepest levels of your heart. If there is no resurrection, then Jesus is just another religious leader. And you and I are left to wonder how to deal with our sins and the fact that we will one day die and face a holy God. But Jesus has been raised. And since he has been raised, I have confidence and so do you if you are a believer in Jesus. That when I stand before a holy God, I will not die in my sins. What I will hear from God is this. Welcome home. Let me give you another one. Because Jesus is risen, there is hope for a better world than this one. Because Jesus is risen, there is hope for a better world than this one. If you do not know Jesus, can I tell you the bad news? This world is as good as it will ever be for you. If you do not know Jesus, this is as good as it gets. And so I hope that you were born wealthy and healthy and happy and rich. Because if not, this is as good as it gets. And you're only going to get one trip around the merry-go-round. But if Jesus is alive, since Jesus has risen, if you are one of His people, if you are one of His followers, then guess what? This is the worst it will ever be. This is the, as close to hell as you and I who are believers in Christ will ever experience. And what we have right now is transformed through faith in Jesus into the training ground for living with Him. Let me give you one more. Because Jesus is risen, your faith in Jesus is proven. I've said this before, I'll keep saying it probably until I die. If a man goes around claiming to be God, do not believe him. But if a man goes around claiming to be God, works miracles, raises people from the dead, heals the blind, heals the leper, is able to call demons forth from people in an instant by a word of command, and is able to go get flogged, Mocked, spit on, crowned with thorns, crucified, speared, buried, sealed in a tomb, and walk out of that thing within 72 hours. You better take notes. Because that man is who he claims to be. That man is who he claims to be. Your faith is not just hope. 
It is not simply a leap in the dark, hoping that something is out there trying to catch you on the other side. Faith in Jesus is proven true by the resurrection. And you can push as hard as you want to on the evidence for the resurrection, and it will hold up. Jesus is risen. He is alive. And He offers salvation to you. Let me tell you something. Would you give your life for this? I would. In fact, I already did. Long time ago. I'll throw in my lot with anybody who can do what Jesus did. With anyone who can be crucified and rise and live the way he lived and teach the way he taught and tell us that in him is the promise of eternal life. I'll lay my life down for that man. Because that man is the Son of God. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, there's no better day than today. Because what Easter is all about, men and women, brothers and sisters, is about people, it's about a man who was dead and who is alive. And if you are living apart from Jesus, guess what? You are a dead man walking, a dead girl walking. You are already dead while you stand. But if, if you have put your trust in Jesus, then you who were dead have been brought to life by His Holy Spirit. We're going to baptize a bunch of people here later. It's going to be a, a big celebration. I'm going to get really excited. <laughs> More excited than I am. And you know what that's about? It's about dead people raised to life. It's about people whose old life is being buried because of their faith in Jesus and who are being raised to new life because Jesus raises up everyone who follows him to new life. Would you give your life for a new life? Today's the day. Let's pray. As I pray, Ashley, you want to slip out and grab Sandy and the children's church kids? That'd be great. Let me pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we are celebrating today. We are excited today. We are thrilled today. We are jumping for joy today because today is the day that we celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen, that He has risen from the dead. He has, all of His promises are true. All of His word is true. All of His teaching has come to fulfillment because He has risen from the dead. A dead Messiah would not be worth following, but we don't follow one. We follow one who is raised from the dead, who has promised to send the Holy Spirit and did and who through the Holy Spirit transforms every single person who puts their trust in him 
Father, if there is a boy or a girl here today, a man or a woman here today who has realized that they do not know Jesus, Father, I pray today would be the day that you would break free in their hearts and that you would help them to know you by your Holy Spirit. That you would convince them that they are lost and that you have found them. Help them, Father, to put their trust in Jesus and be transformed. There's nothing we'd like to celebrate more than new life at Easter Sunday. And Father, for those of us who are already Jesus' followers, some of us have been his followers for a long time. Father, help us not lose sight of the mission that we are to function as the heralds of the king and the kingdom that is coming. Father, until he comes, let us look to the sky, but let us also look to the mission and the work that you have called us to do of making sure that the whole world knows that Jesus has died and risen for our sins to give new life. Father, may we never forget. In Jesus' name, amen.